At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I'm going to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning, beginning in verse 1. All right, as you're turning to Mark chapter 5, um, I don't know about you, but one of the types of TV shows that I like to watch are those transformation TV shows, especially like the home improvement TV shows like Fixer Upper, uh, Trading Spaces, and other, other TV shows like that. And I love them because what you see is a house that has become neglected, dilapidated, or out of date, out of style. Uh, a team comes in, and, and instead of seeing what the rest of the world sees as a house that probably should be knocked down, people come in and they're like, no, 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 this house still has good bones. We can bring this house back to life. And so the team goes in there, and what they do is they, many times, they'll go and they'll, they'll strip everything down just to, like, the studs. And it looks like, man, how can you possibly fix that house? There's no way that that house could be fixed. And then they begin to get to work and they're putting up new sheetrock and they're putting in new fixtures, changing tiles, taking down walls, putting in new walls. And after the, the course of time, when they're finally done, the house looks amazing. How many of you guys like shows like that? Right? It's so good to see the, from the before to the after, right? And we also like to watch the journey a lot of times of the middle, of how did you get there? How did you make this thing that was so ugly now so beautiful? And I think what draws us to shows like that is because at our heart, in our hearts, we all like yearn for transformation, right? That's something that, that is at, at the core of our being. Like it's amazing when we see transformation in someone else's life. Right? When you watch someone that used to be this and now has become this, someone that used to be addicted to drugs now is living in recovery and has changed their life, like, those are the types of things that draw us in. Because I think the reason that it does is because at the core of each one of our hearts is a desire to be transformed. Right? right now, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are things about ourselves that we wish we could change. Right? Maybe we wish we had a little more hair on our heads. Maybe we wish we were a little bit lighter. Maybe we wish we were a little bit healthier. Maybe we wish our face looked a little bit different. Maybe we wish our situation was a little bit different. Maybe we wish something about our life was different. Right? So I think at our cores, this, there's this desire for transformation. And today, as we are continuing our series entitled The Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. We've been walking through Mark chapter 3 through 5 and where we see what happens when the kingdom of God comes to earth through the person of Christ. We've been looking at how, this wants, how God wants to transform the world around us through the person of Christ. We see how our world that has been so impacted by sin and evil is being transformed through the ministry of Jesus. As Jesus comes, what he's doing is he's reversing the curse 
that was placed on the earth through the sin of man. And last week, as we see this king who has come, we see that he begins exercising power and he exercises authority over nature. Right? We saw that even in our fear, we bring our fear to Jesus and Jesus calms the storms in our lives. And today, as we continue our series, we're going to be looking at a passage where we'll see Jesus exercise power and authority over the demonic realm. In this passage, Jesus brings hope and healing through the transformation of the most hopeless person. And today, as we look at this text, what we're going to see is that Jesus reigns over the demonic realm. I hope today, as we look at this text, we're able to see that Jesus has the power to deliver us from the darkness. You know, we live in a world where darkness is all around us. You don't have to go far to see darkness or to feel or experience darkness. Many of you right now might be feeling or walking through a season of darkness, a season of grief, a season of pain, a season of, of which you feel like you have no hope. And I want us to see as we look at this passage that Jesus has the power to deliver us from darkness. And he does it in three ways. The first, we're going to see that he has the power to remove our uncleanliness. Let's jump into the text. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It says this. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he, was, but when he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out to the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now what we see here is Jesus' power to heal or to clean our uncleanliness. And what I love about the ministry of Jesus, and I love how Mark gives us this this scene of Jesus' ministry, is that in Jesus' ministry, everything he did was intentional and deliberate. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Jesus um, started out and told his disciples, hey, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. Right now, along the way, because Jesus knew that he had a divine appointment with this man on this day at this time. In order to get to him, he had to get across the sea. And in the process, as he's going across the sea, we see the great storm come up. And so Jesus calms the storm, but Jesus continues on in his ministry. And so now, in this case, he knows that he has to go to the other side of the sea because he has to transform the life of this most hopeless person. 
probably the most hopeless or broken person that we see in all of Scripture, Jesus goes to meet him on this day. And the moment that Jesus' boat hits the shore, he steps out on the land. He is met by this desperate man, this desperate demon-possessed man. And what we see about this man is that this man was spiritually wretched. He was relationally ruined and physically wrecked. This man was a man of the most hopeless states. Right? First, we see this man was spiritually wretched because Mark describes how unclean this man was. You see, the worst thing for a Jewish person would be to be declared unclean in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, God gave Israel certain laws that would help them remain as a holy nation or as a clean nation. And so he gave them ceremonial laws that would help them see their need for cleanliness. But if they were to break those laws, they would be declared unclean and would be banned from worship. They would be banned from the community and they would be placed outside of the camp until their time of uncleanliness was done. And then once their uncleanliness was atoned for, then they could come back into the camp. And so it was a terrible thing in Jewish culture, in Jewish time, in Jesus' day, to be marked unclean. And we see that Mark gives us several indicators of how unclean this man really was. First, we see this man lives in the country of the Gerasenes which means that he was a Gentile, which means that he wasn't a Jew, which means that he was unclean. He would be declared unclean because he was a Gentile. Second, we see that he is a man with an unclean spirit inside of him. Since he has a spirit that are these demons that are servants of Satan have taken residence inside of this man, this man would be declared unclean even more. So he's got two strikes against him. First, he's a Gentile. Second, he's full of unclean spirits. Third, we see that Mark describes him as a man that lives among the tombs, which according to rabbinical tradition would make him even more unclean. Because it was forbidden for people to touch anything that had to do with death. And so this man is living in the place of the dead. And he's completely unclean. And it goes on to say even more so, this man was unclean because he lived among pigs. So he's inside of this place where he's so spiritually wretched. Like he is not in a place where he can come before God in any single way and offer anything to God. He's spiritually distant from God. It might seem to the rest of the world that this man was beyond the grace of God. That if any man was condemned, this man was condemned. And so not only was he spiritually wretched, we see that he was relationally ruined. Because these demons had lived inside of him, they had tormented him so much that he had no control. And in the process, he had lost all of his family, had lost all of his friends. Even though his friends tried to control him, right? We see in the passage that they tried to keep him as a part of their community. They bound him with chains just so he could stay with them. But he was so much powerful than that that he ripped even all the chains. And so there was no way that any of his family or friends could be around him. He had lost the ability to be a part of the family. And so he's written off. He was sent out among the tombs to live out his life in torment. 
he was relationally ruined. Third, we see this man was physically wrecked. The demons tormented him and distorted his mind and his body. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He endured unrelenting pain. He was naked, unpredictable, and violent. He would cause injury to himself in an attempt to relieve his inner torment. He would scream and shout and cut himself with stones. This man was written off as hopeless because he lived under the power of darkness. But that is until he meets Jesus. You see, the second that Jesus touches the shore, this man runs, this desperate man runs down to see Jesus, runs to him and falls in front of him. And then we see this uh, encounter take place that it's not necessarily the man speaking, but it's the demons inside of the man that is speaking. And so it, it's, this is a confusing situation where sometimes it can be hard to say, well, what's the man saying and what are the demons saying? And most scholars believe that this conversation now is taking place not between the man and Jesus, but the demons inside of Jesus, because Jesus has to defeat the demons in order to save the man. And so this is what happens. The demons come, or Jesus is there, and the demons bow, and they acknowledge that someone is greater than them as in their presence. The demons knew that it must, they must relinquish its hold on the man in the presence of God. So this conversation begins. As this battle for the man's soul rages, the demons scream out at Jesus, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? In other words, the demons are screaming at Jesus and telling him to mind his own business, that he doesn't belong in that Gentile area, that he needs to leave. And Jesus, they call Jesus son of the most high God. It was not only acknowledgement of his deity, it was acknowledgement of his sovereignty, but it was also an attempt to gain control over Jesus. Because people in the first century believed to know someone's name was in a sense to control him. So the demons tried to, make, tried to take control of Jesus and make him take a vow that they would not torture him or that they would not torture the demons. But Jesus doesn't give control to these demons. Instead, Jesus, as he always does, turns the tables and, demand, and demands that the demons say, his, say their name. And the demand cannot be denied. And so they reply, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, there are some biblical scholars that want to make much about the, the number of Legion, meaning 5,000 or 6,000, and want it to... to have more meaning about like a Roman legion or whatever. And, and there may be some truth to that, but I think the reality of what is happening here is we, we want to know, the demon wants Jesus to know, and Paul, Mark wants us to know that this man is full of a lot of demons. This man has many, 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 many demons living inside of him that's causing him to be tormented. And so the demons know that Jesus has the power to cast them out and what they request is not to be sent out of the country and, and what they're really asking for is that they would not meet their doom right there on that day. 
The demons know that in the end they're going to be doomed. They know their doom is coming, and yet right now they have some freedom to to torment people on earth. And so they're asking Jesus, don't send us yet to our final destination. Give, Give us, don't do that yet. And so instead they ask that they be sent into these pigs and destroy the pigs. Now this man that was so covered in darkness now experiences the power and authority of Jesus. For this army of demons is defeated as Jesus tells them, get out of the man and go into the pigs. And in an instant, in an instant, this man who is unclean, this man who had been tormented forever, is now at peace. In a visible way, we see the demons leave and then the pigs run into the heart of the sea. I think Jesus does this because he wants, he could have done it a different way, but he wants those that were witnessing this, those seeing his power, to see in an instant the power of his might in a visible representation of the way in which these demons that were in this man and now they're gone into the pigs and now the pigs are gone and so they are defeated. And what we see is this man was not beyond the power of being transformed by Jesus. You know, even though we, I enjoy watching home improvement shows, what we don't see is that sometimes people go into a house and they're, they're looking around and they're like, this house cannot be fixed. This house is beyond repair. And so instead of trying to fix up some houses, the best thing to do to some houses is to condemn them and to completely knock them down and to start all over again. And sometimes we take that mentality into the spiritual realm. Sometimes we, we see people and we think that they are beyond the grace of God, that they have done so much evil, they have been so violent, they have been so mean, they have hurt so many people, or we've been hurt by them so many times and we look at certain people and we want to write them off. We want to say, man, that person, that person is beyond the grace of God. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like that person that your life is so full of shame, that your life is so full of disobedience, that you've made mistake after mistake after mistake. And you're like, what in the world am I doing? Everything I touch turns to ruin. And you feel the oppression of darkness in your life. And you're like, there's no hope for me. Well, the scripture today reminds us that there's no one beyond the grip of God's grace. No one is beyond being saved. No one is beyond having their sins forgiven. Today, if you still have breath in your lungs, you are not beyond being saved. The second that your heart stops and you take your last breath, at that point, it's too late. But until then, you are not beyond the grip of God's grace. I love how John tells us that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Your greatest need in the world today is not a better job, not a new family, not a longer life. What you need, your deepest need to the core of your being is to be forgiven of your sins. That's your greatest need. Because you are a rebel against God. You have chosen to deny God's authority in your life and you have gone your own way and you've done your own thing and you are an enemy of God. And so your greatest need right now today is to have your sins forgiven. And Jesus is the only one that has the power to do that. You know why? Because Jesus was perfect. Jesus never sinned, Jesus never lied, Jesus was completely obedient to his heavenly father every single step of his life, and that path of his life went to a cross where a mighty exchange was going to take place. For the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus in his sinlessness takes on sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that your sin was placed on Jesus. And Jesus endured God's wrath. He took your punishment. He took your penalty. And he died on the cross. And God saw that his sacrifice was enough, so much so that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in his being raised from the dead, sin was atoned for, forgiveness is provided, and peace with God could become a reality. But... We must come to Jesus and we must confess that we are sinners. We must confess that we are in need of him to save us of our sins. And when we give him control of our lives, that's when forgiveness comes in. That's when we experience the grace of God and the transformation of his gloriousness comes into our lives. So today, let me remind you, if you have not yet come to faith. Today, place your faith and trust in the work of Jesus and be forgiven. He will remove all your uncleanliness. And for some of us today, we need to be reminded that not everyone in our life is beyond the grip of God's grace. Maybe you have written someone off in your life. Maybe someone in your life has hurt you deeply. And you just want to say, well, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going down that road again. Instead, the power of Christ, the forgiveness that you have received, compels you to go to them. Because without you, you may be the only Jesus they may ever know or may ever hear. And even in your imperfection, you still go to them, which you're going to see in a second, that we're called to continue to go and to confess Christ. Because no one, is beyond the grip of God's grace, and you are not the judge. Second, as we look at this, not only does Jesus deliver us from the power of darkness by removing our uncleanliness, he restores our humanity. Look with me in verse 14. It says, The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the man who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's easy, interesting to me to see how the man 
with the demon possession, the demon possessed man, and the herdsmen, how they respond differently to Jesus removing this unclean spirit. See, these herdsmen, they didn't own the pigs. They were working for someone else. And in an instant, they see their livelihood go down into the sea. And so they know they don't own those pigs, and so they have to go back to the owners and say, hey, guess what we just saw? Like, we didn't do it. Like, I, I did. we were being faithful. We were watching your pigs. We were caring for your pigs. And then all of a sudden, this guy shows up, and, like, the pigs go into the sea. Like, please don't kill us. Please don't hurt us. And so they're going into the town seeing all this thing. I mean, think about you're an owner of these pigs, and you're like, what in the world's going on? Like your whole flock, your whole herd of pigs are gone in an instant and you're probably ticked off, right? So you want to see what's going on. And so we see the town come out, people in the country come out and they, they see all of this and they see Jesus and they see hear about all that he's done and they don't respond in worship, they respond in fear. They're like, get out of here. You are a scary person that we don't understand. And what's really shocking about this is the way that they respond to the fear, like Satan has been there among them and been tormenting this one man and they're like at peace with that, right? They're at peace with it. Jesus shows up and begins transforming this man's life and yeah, yeah, some pigs die in the process, which is sad. But Jesus shows up, the one that can bring peace and the people are like, get out of here. That's not how you're supposed to respond, but that's how people respond. For they had fear, they had ignorance, and they had selfishness. But the man responds very differently. There's no doubt that this man has placed faith in Jesus. Because Jesus not only spiritually transforms this man, he physically transforms this man and heals him from the torment and pain that he has been walking through. He heals him relationally because now the man can rejoin his community. Look at how Mark describes the man after his encounter with Jesus. It says, he was sitting there clothed in his right mind. His disposition has completely changed. He's not screaming. He's not cutting himself. He's wearing clothes. The shackles and the chains are all gone, and he's sitting there at peace. I mean, talk about an instant transformation. Like in an instant, this man was like, two seconds ago, I was screaming in pain, and now I'm sitting here in my right mind. Like that's a transformation that is amazing, and the man feels it and experiences it. For everything that was wrong in this man's life was instantly made right, because Jesus has the power to restore this man's humanity. In other words, Jesus is the one that can satisfy our greatest needs. Now, one of my favorite candy bars is Snickers. Anyone else like Snickers? Right, they have a slogan that they kind of came up in the 1980s by the Mars company that says that Snickers really satisfies. Right, that's a pretty bold claim. Right? It's true, though. (laughs) Snickers really satisfies. Well, I believe that that, I mean, I I enjoy Snickers like anyone else, but is it really going to bring me the satisfaction that's going to, like, satisfy my soul? No. There's a, a group that has actually gone into, it's called, according to the Truth and Advertising website, this is what they say. A Snickers bar may satisfy hunger better than no food at all, 
But the evidence suggests that eating a candy bar loaded with simple sugars is going to leave you more hungry in the end. Right? So they say Snickers really satisfies. So you eat a Snickers and you get kind of satisfied for a moment, but then you're hungry again. And so what do you do? Grab another Snickers. And then you grab another Snickers and you grab another Snickers. That's beautiful advertising, right? What a great scheme. What a great marketing scheme. But they're not telling the truth for Snickers doesn't really satisfy. And you know what? You and I are so guilty of knowing that we have need in our heart. Knowing that there are things wrong and we grab for things that we hope will satisfy us. The reality is many of us are grabbing for Snickers. And though that we may have an instantaneous kind of like sugar spike or may feel full for a second, we know it's just a matter of time before we feel empty again. Many times we treat life like that, like looking for the quick fixes. However, nothing but Jesus will bring us peace and the healing that we need. The instant that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, we call it the fall, we see that the world has been broken. The world has been distorted. Relationship with God was broken and beyond our grasp. And pain and physical brokenness, spiritual brokenness, relational brokenness is a reality. And Jesus here, as we look at this passage, is making a bold claim about himself. He's saying to you and to I that he's the only one that can really heal us. Now some still see Jesus and they're like, I don't understand that. I don't want to have any part of that. And so we want Jesus just to leave us. But when you come to Jesus and your deepest needs are met, he becomes the most beautiful thing to you in the world. How many of you experienced that? Amen. You've experienced that transformation where in an instant you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, where you go uh, where you're in the kingdom of darkness and God transfers you into the kingdom of light. Like that happens in an instant. And it's the most glorious thing that we can experience. So not only does Jesus deliver us from the power of darkness by removing our uncleanliness and restoring our humanity, We see he commissions us for ministry. Look at me in verse 18. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled see the man that received this amazing gift of transformation was overjoyed the grace of God deeply and profoundly impacted him so much that he begs to go with Jesus he wants to go with him and to follow him but Jesus doesn't permit him to go instead Jesus tells him he's got bigger plans for him You see, the kingdom of God was not just for the Jews. The kingdom of God was going to be for all people. It was an open invitation. And the kingdom of God is expanding. And so God's grace is expanding. And it's being extended to the Gentiles. And this man becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. The first time 
that the gospel goes beyond the Jews now to the Gentiles. This man has the opportunity to simply go and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus commissions this man or sets him apart for ministry. He becomes the first missionary and he's supposed to go to the Decapolis, which is a a series of 10 towns. So he's supposed to go to where he's known where people saw who he was and now see who he is, and he has an amazing story to tell. I once was, but now I am because of Jesus. That's simply his story. That's simply all he needs to say. He doesn't need to do mighty works. He doesn't need to heal the dead. He doesn't need to do any of that stuff. Simply this man, all he has to do is go tell what Jesus has done in his life. This man had no ministry experience. This man had no theological training. All he had was his personal testimony of transformation, of how he once was in darkness. Now he is in light. After commissioning this man for ministry, Jesus leaves this Gentile region and heads back across the sea. Again, very deliberate, very intentional in his purpose of advancing God's kingdom. For God has more divine appointments than he has as he continues on in his ministry. I want want us just for a moment to look through this passage with the eyes of the powerful process of transformation. Right, first of all, In order, if you ever desire to be transformed, right? If you you have a a desire to be changed, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to identify your need, right? That goes against everything in our culture. Everything in our culture says, nope, you don't need nobody, you don't need no thing, and if you do, you don't tell anybody because there's no one that's going to be able to to come alongside and really help you, so you've got to do everything yourself, And so really what we must begin with, and this goes with anything in your life, you have to first identify your need. Then when you have your need identified, where do you take your need? To Jesus. Take your need to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need this. And guess what you receive? His presence. His presence is there in an instance. That's what we see here. Right? Jesus wasn't far off from this man. This man came to Jesus when he knew he, he knew he was in need. If anyone knew they had need, it was this demon-possessed man. Like it was all everyone knew that this man had need. And Jesus, he as soon as he sees Jesus, he comes into the presence of Jesus. And what does Jesus give him? His presence. He doesn't run away from him. He doesn't hold back, hold him at a distance. Instead, he comes close to him. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. And then what happens? The man is grateful. The man's gratitude grows because he knows what Jesus has just done. And what does that do? It increases the man's love. Right? He's grateful. Now he has great love because of what this man has just done. And what does he seek to do? He wants to obey. Right? He wants to follow. He wants to um, do what the Lord wants him to, to do. And so he wants to be obedient. So what does Jesus tell him to do? He says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I'm not going to give you what you want to do. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. So be obedient. Don't come with me, but yet stay here. And sacrifice your life through telling others what I've done for you. That's the power of transformation. It goes from our need to the presence of God to his uh, wonderful gratitude that we have for him and increases our love and then it shows up in obedience and sacrifice. 
That's the power of transformation. As we look at this account today, if you are a follower of Jesus, know that you have a profound story of God's grace. You are a living testimony of someone that once was but now is only because of the power of God. I love how Paul writes in Colossians. He says, but you, you have been rescued from the domain of darkness. You have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you now have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There again, our deepest need. Your deepest need is to be forgiven of sins. And who can do it? Jesus. And when we believe, when we trust in Jesus to forgive us of our sins, this mighty transformation takes place. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son in the light in whom you now have redemption and forgiveness. So God delivers us from the powers of darkness so that we can tell others of our transformation, which is Jesus doing, completing the work of redemption. After he completes the work of redemption, he tells us now, gives us all the great commission. Right after he had gone to the cross and resurrected from the dead, he comes back to his disciples and he says, okay, now, in Matthew 28, this is what you are to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may not be theologically trained. You, you might not have eloquent speech, but you do have a story. You have his story. His story of how he's stepped in and how he's redeemed your life and how he's changed you. And simply, the simplest part of our life and the simplest part of our ministry is just to tell his story. I once was, but now I am because of Jesus. Parents, tell your children what Jesus has done for you. Tell your coworkers, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell everyone what Jesus has done for you. Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, has now come to earth so that we could be saved, so that we could be transformed, so that the powers of darkness can be defeated, so all of nature could be subdued. This is the one that we serve. This is the one that we follow. This is the one that gives us life. So today, church, let us live boldly because he has done great things. Most of the world boasts of the great things that they do. Right, we can go to social media and we can see lots of people boasting about the great things that they've done. We can see their accomplishments and this and that and this and that. But instead, our lives are not to boast about our accomplishments. Our lives are to boast about what Jesus has done in us and for us and to us. Has your life been changed? Have you been radically transformed? Let us live in that grace. And maybe you're here today and there's someone in your life that you have written off because they've hurt you. My encouragement to you is to repent. Be reminded that that person might be lost. And you can't expect a lost person to live like a Christian. So lost, pe lost people, guess what they're going to do in their life? They're going to hurt you. They're going to come after you. They're going to make false accusations against you. They're going to question your character. They're going to question your motives. They're going to question everything about you. And guess what? That hurts. It hurts a lot. But guess what? 
You've been redeemed. You've been rescued. You've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have a testimony. God has changed you and you need to take the light to the darkness, even to the most dark. So don't write people off. Instead, walk in grace and love and mercy towards them. Pray for them. Pray that they may come to the knowledge of Christ. If you're here and you feel like you're beyond the grip of God's grace, you're not. All you have to do is simply come, acknowledge your need, and experience his forgiveness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And Father, we thank you for this mighty, mighty account that we read today. We thank you that this is true. We thank you that you are a God that meets distant from us. But Father, when we I see our need, you are willing and able to save. That you are mighty to save. And that there's no power on earth, under the earth, over the earth that is more powerful than you. Even the demons have to bow before you. Father, we know that it is your desire for men to be saved. And the way that they are saved is through the communication of the gospel. There's no other way than through the cross. And so, Father, may we be people that preach the cross every single day of our lives. Father, our greatest need is forgiveness because we sin. Sin is the great equalizer because everyone has done it. Everyone has denied you. Everyone has turned their back on you. Everyone has broken the law and we're all desperately in need of a savior. But Father, the cross is the only way to come. We can't come back to you through good works. We can't come back to you through better thinking or even changing our behavior. The only way to come is through Jesus. So Father, I pray today that our eyes and our hearts would bow once again before you, realizing that you're our only hope and that you would remind us of the mission that is before us, that we cannot be silent, but Father, we have to share of your love and your grace, even if we have to undignify ourselves. Father, as we sing, may this song be the cry of our hearts unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 